0: In criminal procedure, let's talk about searches and seizures and just provide a definition and overview of what a search and a seizure is. Put simply, a seizure is going to be when an officer restricts the mo- movements of an inv- individual, and a search is going to be in- to intrude on the privacy of an, in- of an individual to obtain information. The Fourth Amendment is going to provide against or rather protect against unreasonable searches and seizures. And if you want to have a search and seizure, well, one of two things must happen or be true. It must either be reasonable, clearly, because it protects against unreasonable searches and seizures, or you have a warrant, and warrants are obviously going to be obtained if the search or seizure is going to be reasonable as well. Let's go ahead and start with searches, and then we'll hop into seizures in a little bit. Okay, so what is the search? Well, we have Katz versus United States and United States v. Jones. This provides two main tests of how we understand what a search is. Katz provides what is called the reasonable expectation of privacy theory and United States, well, test. And then United States v. Jones establishes the trespass theory. Okay previously let's start with cats previously in the Fourth Amendment, it was interpreted to only protect an individual within a certain location and you had to penetrate that certain location to be found searching that location. This was the rule that was established in Olmstead before, and cats kind of expanded on this Olmstead rule. What happened in cats is that the uh, police officers were investigating an individual. His name was Katz. Uh, they ex- suspected him of being a bookie over state lines, and this was a federal crime. And so what they did back in the day, there were telephone boxes, and they wired the outside of the telephone box to listen in on his conversations that was he was having within the telephone box. So all the arguments were trying to decide is this penetrating the telephone box where Katz was having this conversation? And the court says it doesn't matter whether or not you're penetrating the telephone box because the Fourth Amendment protects people, not places. And so they say that you need to have this reasonable expectation of privacy. So let's talk about this reasonable expectation of privacy and what that is and how it works. Well, there's two parts to this test. First... There's a subjective part of the test, and then there's an objective part of the test. The subjective part of the test is that the person, the target of the search, must actually expect to be having privacy. This is going to be whether they're traveling or whether or not they're having a conversation. But when Kat steps into that box, he's expecting to have a private conversation. He closes the door behind him. And he's not anticipating that anybody else is going to hear his conversation. So he has an expectation of privacy. That's the first element of this test satisfied. Now the second element of this test is that a reasonable person must expect that privacy is going to be afforded to these individuals. Uh, The concurrence is actually the, uh, even though the majority opinion, that's basically what they were saying, the concurrence is the one that actually set out this test. The dissent argues in this uh, this case, though, that uh, this is a form of eavesdropping, and eavesdropping was known by the founders at the time and was not protected in the fourth amendment and so since this is a form of eavesdropping you can't protect it either that's what the dissent is saying so that's one test that we have the second test that we have is united states versus jones jones was an individual he was suspected of dealing in narcotics and So, the police obtained a warrant, but outside the scope of the warrant, they ended up installing a GPS on the underside of Jones' vehicle and tracked his movements for about a total of four weeks. After the end of the tracking, the GPS recorded hundreds, even thousands of pages of data and that ultimately was used to help him sustain a conviction and despite his desires to have this evidence excluded now we have our reasonable expectation of privacy test that we have here and there's two arguments that can be made clearly if you are the prosecution you're going to argue that this is not a, that there is no expectation of privacy uh, you're driving on public roads You don't expect to be private on public roads. And so you have no expectation of privacy. And this kind of material is reasonable without obtaining a warrant. Now you have it on the other side where you could be traveling all over the place. Nobody's following you 100% of the time. Where you're going, what you're doing and stopping and seeing, those things are things that you expect to be private. That's what the defense would say in this kind of situation the court says it doesn't matter uh, this was a trespass you went into his vehicle uh, you did so without his permission consent or knowledge and so you trespassed this is kind of going back to the Olmstead theory that we talked about at the very beginning and so we see two different types of tests here the trespass test where just because you interacted with somebody's property that intruded on their privacy, that is going to be a trespass and a violation of the Fourth Amendment, unless if you have a warrant or consent. And then you have the reasonable expectation of privacy, which has that subjective and objective element of reasonable expectation of privacy. We can see these two tests kind of being, well, not kind of, but being used in a couple of examples, uh, we had State versus Bobak. Uh, Bobak had several stolen car parts in the storage unit, and the officers saw these parts in a little peephole that was in the neighboring storage unit where they were authorized to be in. So they looked in the hole, they saw the stolen parts, and they then opened up the unit based off of seeing these parts, and this evidence was used to obtain a conviction. Using CATS, the expectation of privacy test, this is not a search because there was the hole in the wall, and you could see through the hole in the wall, and even though he may expect privacy, that subjective element was meant, that expectation was unreasonable, meaning society would not find it reasonable because observations could be made through the hole. Under Jones, the trespass test, again, this is not a search. Nothing goes through that peephole. Everything is occurring in an open area, and the officers had a right to be there. So not a search. This principle that we're talking about now is called the plain view doctrine, and it also plays a smell and hearing. If you can smell drugs or if you can hear violence, that's going to be considered in plain view. This can be used as a defense against an accusation that a search occurred. Because you want to say that there's no search search that occurred if you're an officer. If the object is going to be in plain view, which means that you use your senses without any extraordinary means. So a flashlight would be fine, uh, binoculars would be fine, even night vision goggles would be fine. Then this is considered in plain view. And if it's observed in a place where the officers have a right to be, there it's not a search that has been conducted. Uh, this principle also applies for aerial searches. If an officer goes into an aerial vehicle, and it's normal for vehicles, uh, sorry, for planes and helicopters to fly over that area uh, from a normal height, and then searches by those means are fine as well it also applies to garbage cans that are left to be on the curb to be collected must note that it needs to be on the curb because if it's underneath the eaves or part of the curtilage of a home well then that's a different story as well we have one other case when it relates to searches this is going to be bond versus united states Uh, bond was a passenger on a bus Uh, the bus stopped and a border patrol officer hopped onto the bus and checked all the passengers identification and then he was supporting himself on the way back uh, by touching the luggage, uh, making sure that he didn't fall. And uh, He felt a brick-like substance in Bond's bag. He kind of grabbed it more than touched it. And after he felt it, he obtained permission to look in the bag, and he discovered that it was illegal drugs. So now the question is, was this initial touch a search, this grab where he ended up feeling the brick? Under cats. Uh, the reasonable expectation of privacy this is a search because this was extraordinary manipulation of the bag it was not normal touching it was something you would not expect a person on the bus to do you might expect people on the bus to jostle your stuff but not grab and grope uh, the bag to feel what was inside it and underneath Jones this is also a search because touching a bag in an extraordinary matter is considered a trespass. Trespass of cattle. So, chattel. So, underneath both these definitions, that would be an example of a surge. Let's move on to seizures. Well, a seizure is when an officer interferes with an individual's possessory interest in the property. Typically, this is going to occur in restricting the movement of an individual, often known as a stop. And there are three ways a seizure takes place potential seizure takes place you have a consensual conversation which is there's no need to justify having a uh, consensual conversation with an individual Uh, you can go talk to somebody and they can stop and talk to you no problem the second way is to have a stop and to stop somebody you must have a reasonable suspicion which is also defined as an individualized or articulable suspicion of criminal activity taking place. If somebody denies talking to you, that is not sufficient enough to develop a reasonable suspicion, and we'll talk more about reasonable suspicion in future episodes. The third level of a seizure is going to be an arrest. To have an arrest, you need probable cause We'll talk about probable cause again in another episode. Most conversations, like 90%, I mean, that don't quote me on that number, but a large number of interactions are going to be consensual, or they're going to be stops. And the tricky part is knowing when one method of seizure, a consensual conversation, is going to turn into another method of seizure, which is a stop. We have two, we'll say three cases here to kind of illustrate this principle you have United States versus Mendenhall Mendenhall came off a plane was approached by federal agents when they believed that she could potentially be uh, carrying some drugs Uh, and during their initial interaction they just asked to see her boarding pass and her ID she agreed after things still looked a little iffy they Asked her to accompany uh, them upstairs, which she agreed. At that point, her purse was searched, and her uh, person was searched, and they found illegal drugs. And she is saying that this evidence should be withheld because she was improperly stopped. So we're looking first at this initial contact. When the officers approached her, was this a stop? Well, the rule, according to Mendenhall, is a person has been seized within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment only if, in view of all the circumstances surrounding the incident, a reasonable person would have believed that he was not free to leave. That's your rule. He was not free to leave. A reasonable person would have believed that he was not free to, free to leave. This is going to be an objective standard, the reasonable person. A stop means that you have been restrained in some way, and you are restrained when you are no longer free to leave. In this situation with Mendenhall, there was no evidence to show that she was compelled to comply. There was no threats. The officers weren't wearing uniforms. They didn't show her any weapons or anything like that that caused her to stay. She could have said, no, I don't want to talk to you, and walked away. She never questioned that she was free to leave. And This is going to remain true even if the officer had the intention of stopping her anyways and that just was not asked. As long as the other party didn't know, the officer can have this ill intention uh, and it would be completely fine. Additionally, there's no need to tell the defendant uh, the person being stopped and that they can decline to participate in this conversation. This case ended up resulting in a consensual encounter. This was not a stop, and it was because everything was done voluntarily. Wilson versus State, however, did determine that there was a stop. Wilson was an individual. An officer saw Wilson limping from a certain place, went and talked to Wilson, got his ID, ran his ID, uh, but was interrupted, and because he got a call, he went to, well, told Wilson to wait and stay, and he ran to the fire that had uh, been the di- source of the distraction, and he came back, and Wilson had not stayed. And then Wilson was struggling to cross the street uh, because uh, he was underneath the influence of alcohol. The officer helped Wilson cross the street and then told him to wait on the corner. And then at that point, the officer checked to make sure that he was waiting on the corner. And uh, Wilson did wait on the corner until an arrest warrant was obtained because it turns out that Wilson was the cause of the fire. So when in this interaction did it go from a consensual encounter in the caretaking mode to a stop? Well, it was when the officer, at the very end, not at the very, very end because the warrant came last, but at the very end, when he told Wilson to go sit on the corner and wait, and Wilson went to the corner and waited, and the officer checked to make sure that he sat on the corner and waited. At that point, this was a stop, and it's because he, first of all, made an order, it was complied, and then he ensured that it was complied. At that point, Wilson was no longer free to leave. And this was an unconstitutional stop because it occurred without the person's consent and before they obtained a warrant. So, it was an unconstitutional stop. One last thing I do want to say, just as a matter of principle, uh, Florida versus Bostick. What we learn is even if an officer is keeping you from leaving... Uh, meaning if you're on an airplane and the aisle is blocked, you can still verbally decline to comply. And uh, as such, that type of encounter with the officer is not considered a stop. Is considered a consensual conversation because you're still free to decline. Uh, that's going to change if you are not free to decline. The officer demands questioning, so on and so forth at that point, that's going to be considered a stop. Okay, so let's take away just our quick rules of what a search and a seizure is. A search, there are two main principles that we have. You have the reasonable expectation of privacy theory. This is both a subjective and objective test. And then you have the trespass test as well, uh, which is where if you enter into somebody's property, focusing on the places there too, that is still considered a search. We talked about a couple of examples. And then when we got to seizures, we uh, gave the... Definition of a seizure and the different types of seizures. The different types of seizures, there are consensual conversations, stops, and arrests. And then the definition of what counts as a stop is whether or not a reasonable person would have believed that they were free to leave. And we gave Wilson and Bostick as examples of those principles. That's everything. Have a good one. Bye.